Well, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes, but has some questions. In short, that program is designed for someone just like me. Now, there's a lot I don't understand. It, it doesn't have to be anything soul-shaking. It might just be something that just crossed my mind. Now, rather than getting into a real deep theological verse-by-verse discussion, I find that a casual discussion, sort of front porch style with my pastor, is often the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. And today's guest happens to be my pastor, Pastor Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City, Missouri. Now, I have questions, and I'm sure you have yours. Now, you can send your questions by email at any time to Let's Talk at kfuo.org or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, call in at area code 314-821-0850. Or anywhere else in North America, you can call us toll-free, and that number is 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Lawrence, welcome to the show. Yes, it's good to be here again. Oh, yeah. Except for this horrible weather. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, it is so cold here in St. Louis. And yesterday it was so warm. I know it. Hit Sixty degrees yes, yesterday. Yes. Now I think it's what maybe fifteen. Sixteen. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yucky. <laughs> oh man, Pastor. I think uh, I've, I've discussed this with you off mic, and uh, I'm having a really interesting debate with a gentleman on a uh, Facebook. Okay. <laughs> and I wanted to get your interpretation of this and your interpretation of how I responded to him. To make a long story short, this guy says has, has posted, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about hell. Wow. <laughs> to which I said, huh? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> a, a quick check on the Bible gateway and my, my trusty... Uh, and my trusty uh, English uh, English uh, <laughs> English novel English novel English version, and I must have come up with maybe a half a dozen verses just within three or four minutes. Yeah, easily. Yeah. <laughs> now, how how do you respond to someone like this? You know, I can understand a person who's a non-believer who simply says, "I don't believe the Bible," right. but the Bible specifically talks about hell. Right. Right. How can you deny something that the Bible so explicitly talks about and in more than one place again and again? Um, And it talks about hell um, and it uses such descriptive words that um, points to the the harshness of it that would make one, would deter one from one to even go to such a place. You know... um, I'm glad you brought up this subject because uh, I looked at a couple of words um, also, um, especially in the Old Testament and New Testament, and it's just there. For example, in the Old Testament, it talks about, use the word Sheol again and again. Um, And of course, the, uh, the, the Septuagint used the word Hades, which also comes over into the New Testament, um, referring to this place called Sheol. And of course, the Old Testament used the word Sheol in so many different ways. It can use it to refer to the grave. Um, it can use it to refer to the the abode of the dead. Um, and it can use it to refer to hell itself um, as a place of um, torment where one does not want to go. 
In fact, um, the people of God always want to be um, saved from going down into Sheol in the sense of going down into eternal torment. And of course, um, the Septuagint also, you know, translate because the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay. Yeah, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so in place of the word Sheol, they use the Greek word Hades, which we see sometime in um, in the New Testament, um, which also refers to the grave or the abode of the dead or, uh, you know, or hell itself. And another word that is also very descriptive is uh, the word uh, Gehenna, which also comes from the Hebrew, which has to do with um, the valley of of Hinnom, which was a place where they sacrificed children to the god Moloch. And when you think about sacrifice, you think about burning something, burning children, which is how horrible can that be? And also it, it became known, especially in the New Testament time, as a place where they would throw rubbish and burn it or even take the body of criminals and discard it there and it was used as a description of hell itself so i there is just so many so many references to um to hell both in the old testament and the new testament that it's uh, i don't see how someone can be reading the bible and say there is no hell. And I think what is happening here with uh, with that kind of a description is the tendency of people to impose their dogma on the Bible. Mm. You know, they come up with their own doctrine or their own beliefs first, and then they sort of impose that on the Bible. For example, um, <clears throat> the Jehovah Witnesses also speak that way, that there is no such place as hell. And uh, for them, doctrinally, they would say, how can a just God um, torment somebody eternally in such a place? And that's one of the things that this writer that I've been debating with has said the same thing. You know, how, how can you believe in a God who punishes people eternally? Right. And, you know, you know God's love is eternal, you know, when we speak of God's love and God's justice, these are attributes of God. These are things about God that uh, shows itself to us. He reveals himself in his attributes. And if God's love is eternal, then we should also think of his, his justice as eternal. You know, and a just God will punish sin ultimately and punish it eternally. Just as God's love for us is eternal and he wants us to be with him in the bliss of heaven eternally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those words are eternal. Also, I think, you know, one of the key words that um, this person is missing is the idea of the age. Okay, how did that work? Um, you know, we read a lot in the Bible about, you know, this is going to be forever. And uh, the, the Greek word that is often translated age or forever is the word ionos. And yes, it refers to an age or sometimes it is translated as eternal, forever. And the, the, the reason being is that when we speak of the age in which we live, this age is temporary. It will come to an end. 
but the age to come is eternal. You know, um, you know, the age to come, you know, whether, it's, whether you are in heaven or in hell, that is going to be eternal. So the age, the hereafter, you could refer to it as the hereafter is eternal. It is only now that is uh, temporary. And so we can speak of this age as, yes, you know, coming to an end. But the age to come is clearly eternal, and uh, we have eternal souls. Mm -hmm. It is not like, you know, you can kill the soul. No. Which is, again, part of the doctrinal error with trying to say there is no hell. Well, one of the one of the things again this this fellow had mentioned uh, that really, to my mind, just is completely uh, refuted by Lutheran theology, is he says uh, talks about where heaven is a reward, an earned reward. Ooh. Well, uh, uh-uh, uh, we can't earn it. We, you know, it's right. not a reward. It's a free gift. Exactly. The only thing exactly. we can earn is hell. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We earn hell, but we certainly don't um, earn um, yeah. heaven. Heaven is is a gift from God. Our salvation is yeah. is a gift from from God, and that is eternal. It is, and it is so vital. I think because uh, I think the point this fellow is trying to make. Uh, was that he's saying that religion is really just a method of control of the masses. Uh, and so, you know, you bit, you do this and you're going to be rewarded, so we're going to control you, you know, that type of thing. And whereas, again, with Lutheranism, we're not controlled. We don't have the reward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it, you know, because... <clears throat> You know, most religions are about man trying to work his way or find God. It is the Christian religion that is the opposite. It is more about God finding man, not man finding God. Uh. Because we can't find God. You know, my my daughter, my youngest daughter, liked to read a lot of um, read a, a lot a lot of books about other religions. And she often will bring to my attention the similarities between those other religions and Christianity and the same kind of stories. And, you know, I always point out to her that uh, what you have is a caricature of, the, of our religion. It may resemble it, but it can't be like us because in their religion, they are often trying to find God reach out to God or to get to God somehow. But from our point, it is God who reaches out to us. They are, you know, it is the Christian religion that is based on revelation. You know, other religions are often based on what we call a natural knowledge of God. People are going with some kind of old story and what they see in nature about God. But in Christianity, we're dealing with revelation. We're dealing with a God who has revealed himself to us mm-hmm. in his word, a God who has revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus. You know, and so it, it is different. And so there's, their religion may resemble, but it's a caricature. It is, cannot be the same thing. Ours is, again, based on on revelation. Well, for example, with with our church services, uh, I've often heard uh, an argument, even from some of my own family members who are less than religious, uh, that why does God 
demand that you get together and praise him. Well, you know, that's not what the church service is about. No. We are receiving something from him. He's not getting anything from us. There's nothing that we have that we can give him. Exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I, God doesn't need any favor from me. No, no. I mean, I go to church on <laughs> Sunday to hear the gospel and to receive the Holy Communion and, and to confess my sins and receive absolution. Right. You know, God doesn't need any favor from me. God did me a favor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so my going to church is is an act of gratitude. I'm saying thank you to a God who not only did me a favor, but continued to be, mm. have his favor bestowed on me. And so, yeah, worship is, is more about receiving from God than it is about giving. Sure, we give thanks and we give praise to him, but we are there chiefly to receive and we receive so much. You know, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. We receive the strengthening of our faith. And sometimes if there is no faith, um, it can be kindled in someone in a worship service. If we hear the word of God, it can kindle faith. Um, so, you know, you know, you're right. We're not there just to, to, to do God a favor. And that is where sometimes I have my complaint, even with some of my own parishioners <laughs> who think that, you know, well, why, well, why can't we, uh, um, shut down the church if the weather is a little bad or something like that? And I would try to remind them that, look, if the malls are hope are open <laughs> and if they and if the restaurants are open and if people are flocking to these places why should we close the church in fact that's one of the things that happened um before um the first sunday after christmas huh. and uh, we were supposed to come back that same evening for the new year's eve service but of course it was very cold and nobody wanted to come back and you know after that service i went to the nearby restaurant for lunch it was so packed that i had to wait for a seat and i thought to myself wait a second you know if people are going to be flooding to the malls and to the restaurant why should we close church i mean god is priority one for us why because we are priority one for him and our salvation is priority one for him. <laughs> and let me apologize both to you and to the good Lord, because I did miss that service. <laughs> okay. But I know sometimes you are here. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that makes up for it a little bit. <laughs> but you know, a lot of this, I think, is is a matter of, of terms and interpretation. Like, you know, we were talking about Sheol and, and Gehenna, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't really know either Hebrew or Greek, but I know you had to study it through seminary. Uh, but I assume that it's like with English, where our where one word can have um, several different meanings. Yes, yes, yes. And so sometimes context will determine how you yeah. translate a word. Yeah. Now, well, one of the one of the remarkers in that in that email exchange that I had said, well, Gehenna just simply means a trash dump. Well, yes, but it also meant... Yes, it was used to describe what hell is like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it's like throwing away the refuse. You know, this is the rejects. You know, these are the ones rejected. Yeah. Um, so it is used to describe hell. So I can say, for example, this place is like a sewer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're dis- yeah. It's, yeah. You, you know, that's a, yeah. you're describing it. Yeah. Yeah. So it you know they, these words describe something about hell or give us description of hell that sometimes is beyond 
human description. You know, it's probably such a bad place that you don't have a, a specific word that would tell us everything about it. You have to use several words to sort of describe the harshness of hell and why no one should want to go there and why we don't. In fact, that is why we do evangelism. We do evangelism because God doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance and be saved. God does not want anyone to go to hell. You know, that is why he did everything possible to to prevent anyone from going to hell, from sending Jesus. The church is here for that reason. God has not taken the church out of the world yet. We are called out of the world. That's what it means. That's what church means, to be a people that have been called out of the world. But yet we are still in the world to do evangelism, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others come to know him and do not end up in a place like hell. And again, you know, we as Christians and as Lutherans, we do things, for example, like our disaster relief efforts, our anti-malaria campaign going on in Africa, our medical mercenary missions, things like that. We do it not because we hope for reward. We don't don't do it for that reason. It's because this is what a Christian does. Right, right. Now, if that's control, then fine. That's the type of control... Well, no, it's not a control. (laughs) Yeah, It's we have the free will, and we know what is right, we know what is wrong... Yeah, and, and you know, if, if if you don't mind, I can. I'd like to quibble also with that word free will. Okay. Um, because I think you know it's used a lot by Protestants to give the the concept of choice. You know, you can choose this way or you can choose that way. And Luther was very clear, and in fact, he wrote a book called "The Bondage of the Will." Um, pointing to the fact that man have, uh, in terms of spiritual matters, now in terms of temporal matters, can I choose whether I'm going to live in Missouri or New York? Of course. Can I choose whether I'm going to marry or not marry? Yes, I can make those those choices. And those choices have consequences. But in spiritual matters, our will is bound um, we have this bound will where every the human inclination is towards evil. He doesn't want to meet with God. In fact, look at what had Adam and Eve did right after they sinned. Before they sinned, what used to happen? They used to meet with God in the Garden of yeah. Eden every, every day. day. He used to walk and talk with them. And after they sinned, the first thing they did was what? They hid from him. They, they don't want to meet with him. You know, and God has to say, well, where are you? And they say, well, we heard you coming, and so we hid. Well, you didn't hide yesterday. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, what we, changed? What changed, <laughs> right. you know? Um, sin has really did something to the human will in terms of spiritual matters. His will is now bound. Um, and so that is why we need God, and we need his salvation. Um, we, don't, we can't choose God. God has to choose us. Hmm. And, you know, you hear that word comes out again and again in the Bible about the elect or the chosen. You know, even after Jesus' disciples follow him, what did he say to them? You didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you. you. And so God is the one who chose us. And so you can see in the Christian religion, too, it's about God finding man and reaching out to man and choosing man. Man can't find God. Man can't choose God. Why? Because 
He has a bound will. He doesn't have that free will, which is why other religions will never lead you to Christ and never lead you to salvation. It just cannot. Whereas the Christian religion, God is the one who comes and finds us. He is the one who saves us. Our salvation is in him totally. Well, I think, uh, oh, for example, in the Bible where, where uh, Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman. Yes. He sought her out. He knew that she was going to be there. Right, right, yes. And and she, you know, she. oh, really? You know, she wasn't looking for Jesus. No, no. Not She's just there to get water. Yeah. And he struck up the conversation with her. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, same thing with Philip. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I think that those are some marvelous lessons for us that, as you just pointed out, God's come to us. We can't go to him. Right. In fact, we have a tendency to stray. That's where Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. You know, will, you know, will you not leave the 99 on the hill and go look for the one that go astray? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you that the tendency of man is to go astray and God comes looking for him. And, you know, that's what the church is all about. It's about God still at work in the world through pastors, through parishioners, through his people, you know, to reach out to the lost so that they can be saved, saved from eternal damnation, saved from (laughs) hell. (laughs) There's so much misunderstanding, I think, that goes on here. Now, the the guy can say, well, that's because you're brainwashed. Well, no, it's because I read the Bible. Bible. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe it. (laughs) uh, Yeah. But, you know, it's just... I am just floored where somebody can read the Bible and say it didn't say what it said. Right. That's what just blows me away. Yeah. You know, and again, you know, people have a tendency to either want to impose their own beliefs on the Bible Mm -hmm. or sometimes their own control of God. You know, I remember once I met this lady and uh, she told me she used to be a believer and uh, she doesn't believe anymore. And, you know, well, well, what happened? You know, and it was just the fact that her mother was ill, and she prayed for her mother, and her mother still died. You know, she has forgotten those passages that says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, um, her mother's death is precious to the Lord. If her mother died in Christ, then that mother is with Christ. But as far as she was concerned, well, I prayed and he didn't do what I want him to do. And so he didn't save my mother from dying, but maybe he saved your mother through death. Because from death, where do we go as the people of God? Yes. We go again into eternal life. We go from this age and we look forward to eternal life with Christ. But, uh, you know, I think people have a tendency to do that, to come up with their own beliefs first mm-hmm. and then try to impose that on on the Scriptures. Well, for example, uh, I have a number of gay acquaintances who claim that they are Christian. Uh-huh. And uh, the thing I always hear from them is, well, Jesus is about love and about forgiveness. Right. And didn't he forgive the prostitute? And I, and my, my standard comeback to them is Jesus said, did not say, go and sin some more. He said, go and sin no more. Right. right. And uh, the argument 
again, with, with, with uh, the acquaintances I have who are gay, is it doesn't matter if you're gay. It doesn't matter if you're straight. What is the problem is how you handle it, how you treat it. Uh, gay sex or sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, there's no difference really as far as we're concerned. They're, they're both sin. They're both sin. Right, they're both a misuse of our God-given yeah. sexuality that is a gift. And when God gives us our sexuality, it's because we should use it in a way that is pleasing in his sight and also beneficial for us. We should not use it in a way that can bring right. harm to, you know, that is displeasing to him, first of all, and that can bring a lot of um, harm to our um, lives in, in, in together. And, you know, when you talk about forgiveness... You know, that the word forgiveness, uh, and forgive me to bring up my Greek so often. <laughs> I often like that word, um, aphiemi in Greek, which is the one that is often translated forgiveness. And it, it has such diverse meanings, you know. Um, it can refer to being released, um, you know, being dismissed, being sent away. And so you have that idea in forgiveness that our sins are dismissed. They are sent away. You know, there's a Bible passage that talks about um, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us, or he has cast our sins in the sea of uh, forgetfulness. So you have that concept behind forgive, but also this idea of release. Um, Imagine you are tied to something. And you mm. can't get away from it. You are. It's called sin. It's called sin. And that's <laughs> what we are tied to. And forgiveness also of the idea of being released from that thing. I'm no longer tied to it. I don't have to keep doing it. Now, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, somebody who who is gay is not going to have uh, those thoughts or those feelings. Mm -hmm. Well, when it comes to sexuality, I have thoughts and feelings about women that I shouldn't have. It's called lust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's called lust. You know? yeah. I'm an old man. I ain't a dead man. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> and my, my wife and I were talking about that the other day because uh, someone <laughs> was uh, living that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, all of a sudden, life changed, and uh, they couldn't uh, behave that way anymore. And then all of a sudden, they drift apart because they didn't have that sexual life together anymore. And I go, so you see, they weren't really in, in love. love. They were in lust. <laughs> and see, you know, there's a difference between being in love and being in lust. Oh, yeah. Uh, then, you know... Which again also is interesting because, uh, and and again, forgive me for bringing up these Greek words here, but um, you know when you look at the, even the word love. Oh yeah, Greeks. The Greek has how many different words for it? Three different words that I can think of often: the word agape, the word phileo, and the word eros. Mm -hmm. And usually, when you when you start talking with a couple about you know, doing premarital counseling, sometimes they are surprised that you don't. Ask them why they want to get married. Because you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, because we love each other. But what you really want to drive at is, do you know what that, what, what you mean by love? Yeah. Because if, if what's driving your relationship is eros, which is where we get our English word erotic, mm -hmm. if that's the kind of love that is driving it, then I can tell you what's going to happen. 
um, eventually one of you going to cheat on the other. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want your relationship to be driven by just eros, just this erotic feeling about the other person. You want that higher form of love, agape, which, by the way, is the is the one that Jesus used in Ephesians. And when St. Paul used in Ephesians, when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he uses agape, not eros. He's using agape. He's not using eros. You know, God's love for the church is this unconditional forgiving kind of love, this love of intelligence and purpose. And that's the kind of love we want driving marriage or else it is, you know, it just won't last. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're going to love the person only in good times, not in hard times. That's true. Well, we got to take a break right now. This is a great conversation. We got a lot more coming up. And if you want to join us in this conversation, feel free. You can email us at letstalk at kfuo.org or call us in the St. Louis area, area code 314-821-0850 or anywhere toll free in North America at 1-800-730-2727. You're listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. adventure and odyssey i can't believe we're gonna have to stay here all summer well sweetheart it just isn't in the budget not if we want to go skiing at christmas the budget it's always the budget it doesn't look like the barclays are going to be able to take a vacation this summer until george comes up with an incredible idea find out how they do it on the next adventure and odyssey saturday mornings at 8 30 on kfuo the messenger of good news Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. This is Jedi John Lekomsky and Jedi Matt Clark. Bring your droids for 30 minutes of intensive Bible study and Jedi training on Wrestling with the Basics. Saturday mornings at 9.05 on KFUO AM 850. Or on demand at KFUOAM.org. May the force be with you. And also with you. Saturday mornings at 9 on KFUO, the messenger of good news. There's no question the Bible, the pulpit, and the music of the church provided the energy for the civil rights movement. 
on April 16, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous letter from a Birmingham jail is addressed to my dear fellow clergymen. He used biblical examples throughout to defend against accusations when he was accused of being an extremist. The black church in the South became a meeting place for community leaders. Preachers used biblical stories as metaphors and symbols of their struggle for freedom. Gospel songs and hymns became freedom songs. We will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Engage with the Bible in its impact in every sphere. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen, and my guest pastor today is Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in, I almost said Kirkwood. We're in Kirkwood, but the church is in University City, Missouri. And you can join our conversation. We've been talking about, does the Bible really talk about hell? Does the Bible really mention eternity? Hint, the answer is yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> and we're about to... to Go on to another topic, one that, that that I have always really been curious about. Now, I was born a Lutheran. My mother was Lutheran. My grandparents were Lutheran. My great grandparents were Lutheran. My great great grandparents were Lutheran. And back back umpty um <laughs> generations, uh, we can actually trace my mother's family back, I think, into the late 1500s. And they were all Lutheran. Wow. So uh, that goes back quite a ways. So I never knew anything but. To me, being a Lutheran is just as natural as, as breathing. Yeah. But I look at people, for example, our station manager here, uh, Gary Duncan, was not born Lutheran. He became a Lutheran. Uh, several good friends of mine were not born Lutheran, but became Lutheran. And I might add that my own pastor, Wayne Lawrence, who is sitting here right next to me, was not born Lutheran. Right, I was not. I was not, yeah. So, how do we arrive at the situation? You know, where, where with me, I never had to question it. I knew nothing else. Right. I was never tempted to become a Catholic or Baptist or any of those things. I was always Lutheran. But you had your journey. Yes, yes. How did that work? <laughs> I was. Uh, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church in uh, in Jamaica. Um, and went also to Catholic school um, pretty much all my childhood life in Jamaica. And uh, in, you know, in many ways, it, uh, it was helpful because uh, coming from a, a broken home, uh, the, the school, the Catholic school and the Catholic church sort of helped to guide you um, away from just becoming almost like your parents, yeah. you know. Because um, when I compare what I was learning in school and in church to the way I saw my, my own father lived his life, you could see that what the church and what the school was saying was the complete opposite, you know. Um, you know, the, the school and the church stressed um, gratitude, you know, living a life of uh, of gratitude to God. Whereas, sometimes when you look at broken homes, 
what you see is uh, ingratitude is the one thing that they were lacking. And in fact, the reason why some homes fall apart. Because if you don't have, you know, a family where husband and wife are thankful for each other, thankful for their children and express that gratitude, then sometimes the home life will just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I did benefit in many ways from going to uh, Catholic school and church. In fact, one of the things I still remember about being in the Catholic church is they use the term Eucharist, referring to the sacrament of the altar. And uh, I always wondered, why did they use that term, Eucharist? And uh, from studying theology now, I realize they use the word Eucharist to refer to giving thanks. Because that's what the word Eucharisteo means, to give thanks. Mm. Um, But of course, you know, even the sacrament of the altar in the Catholic Church is not quite the same as as ours. Um, The Thanksgiving part, I can still relate to. But what really led me to be Lutheran is uh, I had certain questions about the Catholic uh, religion or the Catholic Church as I grew up. They would uh, have certain sacraments, or you felt more like salvation was uh, something you had to earn. It wasn't salvation was not simply by grace alone, uh, but by grace plus works. God did his part, and uh, I was expected to do mine. And that's where, you know, the despair comes in. Because you often wonder, is it good enough? Have I done enough? You know, some of the the times I would feel good was when I went when I went to confession on Saturday before church on Sunday, and uh, feeling like, well, okay, my sins have been forgiven. Now all I have to do is sin no more. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, you know, after you leave confession, after you do your penance in the pew, and you go down the road to go to the bus stop, before you get home, you sin. (laughs) (laughs) And you realize, boy, this thing about uh, um, trying not to sin is just not going to work. You know, and I think... uh, and I think some people give up trying. You know, they just go, I can't do it. So I'm just going to um, sin boldly then, you know, and just go their own way. Um, but uh, but rather I, than sin boldly, yeah, yeah, you, you chose another path. I, I, I chose another path. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered um, Lutheranism when I was in New York um, as a young man. I had graduated from high school. And uh, had this job in Manhattan, and I always wanted to know the truth. And I go, well, the Catholic Church isn't giving me the answers I'm looking for. Maybe the truth is in the Bible. And sure enough, I would read the Bible to work and from work um, every day. I kept doing that until I read the Bible from cover to cover. 
And I met this Lutheran pastor, Reverend Jack Crippen. And uh, he said something strange to me. He said, uh, oh, Catholics make good Lutherans. And I go, (laughs) really? How so? (laughs) And he gave me Luther's Catechism. And I started reading Luther's Catechism on my way to work and, and back home. And I said, wait a minute. Is this the difference? Is salvation really by grace alone? Did Christ do it all? It's like when Luther suddenly found that passage in Romans. Yeah, you know, you go, if that's what it is, then it's not up to me, you know? It's all been done for me. It's all been done for me and to me, rather than I have to do anything to save myself. I think that was such a revelation, you know, that you realize that uh, Catholicism did not give you that peace that you you get from reading Luther's Catechism. You get a certain peace that you just don't get anywhere else. Peace knowing that you really have peace with God mm. for Jesus' sake. You really do have peace. You don't have to worry about, have I done enough good works? Am I going to heaven or hell? You know, back then, as a Roman Catholic, if someone said to me, if you die tonight, will you will you go to heaven or hell? <laughs> I would say, well, I hope I go to heaven. I don't know. But as a Lutheran, what do you say? I know. I know. If I die tonight, where am I going? Or today, where am I going? To heaven. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I am one of God's chosen. I didn't choose him. He chose me. Yeah. You know, and so there is a kind of peace that you have. And it also enables you to respond more with that thanksgiving that the Catholics were talking about. Now you can, now I can really go to the altar and realize that God has given me in my mouth his body to eat and his blood to drink. And with that, he's given me the forgiveness of sins. And what am I there at the altar to say? Thank you. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for strengthening my faith. And so really the sacrament of the altar, I can see the thanksgiving part of it because I can see God giving me what I need for my salvation in the sacrament. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, really, it's really different. In fact, you want to talk about converts. Yeah. I think one of the strangest things that happened to converts <clears throat> is that converts, once they realize the truth, they start off with a kind of zeal. Yeah. No one's more zealous than a convert. Uh, yeah. Oh. I was so zealous <laughs> that, you know, you end up fighting with uh, your own siblings because we all grew up Roman Catholic in Jamaica. And by the time <laughs> we get here, they had started to embrace Catholic, uh, not, um, Pentecostalism. They became Pentecostal and I became Lutheran. Uh-huh. And then we had this, this conversation about baptism and uh, what God is doing in baptism. And boy, that's where your zeal really 
to start expressing itself because for them baptism didn't do anything yeah. you know, it doesn't save you it's just an act of obedience on your part whereas I see baptism as gospel it is it's, one of the, <laughs> it's gospel <laughs> you know don't you see what God is doing yeah. and you know just to show you how of zealous you can get they challenged me at the time they said show me one place in the bible ah where it says baptism save you and i showed it to them <laughs> i showed it to them and you know what they said no baptism doesn't save you <laughs> sounds like an earlier conversation <laughs> exactly <laughs> where people just somehow have their belief before the bible before they read the Bible, and then somehow the Bible is supposed to tell them that they what what they believe is is correct. Yeah, it doesn't work that it way. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Often the Bible will tell you that what you believe is not correct. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, and so you show them in the Bible where it says, you know, baptism now saves you. Um, in First Peter, First Peter, I think it's chapter three where um, he equates baptism with the flood. And, uh, you know, just like, you know, just like eight people were saved through the flood, God now saves you through baptism. And I showed them that, and that just didn't do it. I mean, we... (laughs) We argued, and I think that's what I think that's what I think that's what new converts do. Instead of we, we don't know how to confess our faith yet, and so we spend our time arguing yeah. our faith. You know, we argue. You know, we argue our faith. It sort of it sort of reminds me of um, Peter in Gethsemane with Jesus, and in order to save Jesus. He's pulling out his sword and swinging it and cut off Malchus's ears, you know, and Jesus had to stop him and wait, 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 you know, and heal Malchus's ears. And I think, you know, new converts want to argue the point to the point where they're trying to defend Jesus, (laughs) defend his doctrine. And it takes a while that after you um, become more comfortable with uh, with your new faith, which is correct. Mm-hmm. You start to realize that no, I don't need to argue or fight with anyone about about my faith. But what I need to do is to confess it, confess it with uh, my lips, confess it with my whole life. You know, and we were talking earlier too about um, why do we go to church? Mm-hmm. It's part of our confession. You know, we confess our faith by not only what we say, but by what we do and what we don't do, by the way we we live. Um, and so we, you know, after a while you start to realize that confession is the way to go. And it is more winsome than arguing. Because too often what, what arguments will do to people is it causes them to close the door. Yeah. You know, it caused them to become stubborn. This is what I believe, and you are telling me that I am wrong. And so I'm going to shut the door, and I'm not going to listen to you. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> Sounds like the email exchange. And so, you know, you realize after a while, after that zeal sort of 
settle down, you realize, no, maybe what I should do is uh, not try to argue my faith or argue someone to believe into believing what I believe. But as Peter says, you know, give the reason for the hope that is in you. Live in such a way that it begs the question so that if someone asks, why are you this way? Why do you believe what you believe? Then you can give the reason for the hope that is in you, you know? And it's more about confessing because if I tell you what to believe, you better believe this. You're going to get stubborn. Mm -hmm. But if I say to you, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. Now, you can take it or leave it. You may not believe it right away. <laughs> and sometimes what, what I end up doing by just confessing my faith is I plant the seed. Because sometimes that's what happened to people, um, you know, after a while. They, they might be stubborn, but the seed is planted. And after a while, they'll think about it and go, well, you know, I remember Kip said... He believed this, and this is why he believed it. I wonder if he's right, <laughs> you know? And so you learn after a while from your zeal that, uh, you know, arguing um, your faith um, doesn't really help others. Well, like when you met that Lutheran pastor in New York, he didn't argue with you. No, but it's, I, came to, I came to his parsonage to talk to him. Ah. And so he said to me, oh, you're, and I said to him, well, I'm Roman Catholic. And I was like wearing my Catholicism on my chest. And he was like, well, oh, well, you, you, you Catholics make good Lutherans. You know? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but yet when you become a convert, I think sometimes you, you have that, you start off with that zeal. Yeah. That I think um, you know needs to be given some direction. Well, maybe you can uh, clarify a point, uh, a question that I have in my mind. Um, is the I've often heard uh, you, you hear the expression evangelicals. Yeah, we're confessional, right? What is the difference between evangelical and confessional? In terms of the word. I think, um, you know, Lutherans sometimes allow these words to be taken from them and misused. Yeah. Because the word evangelical is a good word. Um, in fact, if you look at a lot of our churches, the word evangelical is in the name. Yes, yes. You know, in fact, even St. James, the, or the real name, if you look at it on the Constitution, St. James Evangelical Lutheran Church. Okay. Um, because the word evangelical, of course, comes from, again, euangelizomai, which means to preach the gospel. And so evangelical, really, at its root, have to do with being gospel-centered, Christ-centered. And so we should not let that word um, be taken from us. Um, we tend to use the word confessional today. Um, to point to the fact that we are confessing our faith in our liturgy mm -hmm. um, and in our the way we worship and the way we live our lives, that this is a confession of our faith. But in confessing that faith, what are we doing? We are really confessing Christ, aren't we? Yes, we are. Whereas the churches now that are using the term evangelical, these are what we would call 
Protestant churches, and they tend to, it's a corruption of the term, you know, evangelical. This is what I'm thinking. This is yeah. what I'm thinking, because I, I hear it used in, in often in a pejorative sense. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you look at most evangelical Christians out there, yes, they are very Christ-centered, too, mm-hmm. um, but they are not sacramental. In fact, I find them to be anti-sacramental. You know, they often don't believe that baptism saves you. They don't believe in the real presence in the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. you know. They don't believe in confession and absolution like we do. Um, and so you find a lot of, you know, Calvinist-type doctrine will use the, start using the term evangelical or Arminians might refer to themselves as evangelical. And, you know, it's, I think it's a real corruption of the term because evangelical really is our word to preach the gospel. And to preach the gospel means you also have to administer the sacraments rightly because the sacraments are gospel. Yes. You know, it's, oh, it, it, it's the visible word. You know, you have, yeah. the, <laughs> you have the audible word and you also have the visible word. You know, even in the Old Testament, you know what? The prophets didn't always just speak their prophecy. A lot of the time they would act out their prophecy. Look at even John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. There's a reason why he did his ministry in the wilderness. Because what is he illustrating for the people? This is what your hearts are like. Your hearts are like this barren wilderness where God cannot live. Uh. You know, so he illustrate his message um, to them also. And so his baptism was a baptism of repentance um, to make their hearts the kind of place where God could now live. So he would not only just speak it, but act it out. So I think when we look at the word evangelical, um, we should look at it as not only just the audible word, but also the, the visible word, the sacraments. And realize that uh, this is more Christ-centered. This is really what evangelical means to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, of course, what what John the Baptist was doing. Uh, and, and I always love the part where where Jesus approached him in the in the river, and John says, "I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me." Uh, and Jesus insisted on the baptism. I, I think part of it. Part of that, again, was to show that he understood humanity. That yes. is, what, to me, one of the most beautiful things of, 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 of Jesus' sojourn here on earth, yeah. was he showed that God really does understand us. And that is why, and, and you know, Christ's baptism, that's the difference between Christ being baptized and the rest of the people. Because, of course, Jesus had no sin yeah. to, 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 to be forgiven. But... Jesus' baptism was an inauguration. He's now being inaugurated into his office as the Christ who would atone for the sin of the world. Um, and so it's his inauguration. And he is also taking our place. Yes. You know? He's becoming, literally becoming us. He's becoming sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh. He who knew no sin... God made him sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God. And so ultimately, his baptism is on the cross. 
That's the ultimate baptism, that bloody baptism on the cross where he um, atoned for the sins of the whole world. Uh, it's yeah, I mean, his, his interaction with John at that river was was quite something because <laughs> of course I I can just imagine because John had, John John had already said that he who comes after me is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to even stoop down and untie and then all of a sudden here comes Jesus saying <laughs> <"Whoa>. baptize me <laughs> wow what a scene yeah. <laughs> well, Pastor Lawrence we are coming up to the very end of the program here we got about a minute left uh, anything that you want to say any summary of what we've been talking about yeah you know um, I am always glad for the opportunity to come and talk with, with you oh, about it. these things and you know in summary I guess I'd like to remind a lot of our listeners that uh, confessing our faith is so crucial mm-hmm. because there are people out there who really have been led astray by false teachings you know like um, believing that there is no hell you know and and that is why confessing our faith, telling them what we believe and why we believe it is so crucial, you know, because there is a hell. Oh, yeah. You know, there is a hell. And uh, the Lord does not want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance and not go to hell, but be saved. And that is the message. Well, people you've been listening to, let's talk the pastors in. My guest pastor is my personal pastor, Pastor Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City. I want to give special thanks to Reverend Emerita, uh, Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Laud, and Honor as the song for this, uh, for the theme song for this uh, program. Pastor Bowie's music and books are available at Amazon.com. I'm host Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.